friends. Before we start today's episode, I need to warn you that this topic may be distressing to some listeners. This episode includes discussion of traumatic child abuse. Please protect your mental health and the mental health of anyone who may be listening with you. Listener discretion is advised. Now to our story. May 1st, also known as May Day, is Lay Day in Hawaii. Since 1927, Lay Day has been a way to celebrate the abundance of unique tropical flowers and to honor the spiritual and royal history of Hawaii. At schools and public events throughout the islands, Lay Day includes songs, hula performances, and a Lay Day court with children dressed as royalty symbolizing each of the eight main islands. The state is draped in flowers and greenery on this day, and statues of Hawaiian royalty are reverently blanketed in flowers. I've included a link in the show notes with images. It was on this day of beauty and joy in 1991 that Peter Kima Jr., known as Peter Boy, was born. At the time of his birth on that lay day in 1991, his family lived in the Puna district of the Big Island, which is on the windward side of the island just below Hilo. The last time his grandparents saw him, he was six years old. He was at a family funeral with his parents, and at that time he had a black eye and appeared to have a broken arm. His grandparents reported the injuries to Child Protective Services, but there was no investigation at that time. Peter Boy remained with his parents. Nearly a year after that call to CPS, and a year since any extended family had seen him, Peter Boy was reported missing by his parents. When questioned by authorities, Peter Boy's father, Peter Kima Sr., told authorities that he left Peter Boy with a longtime family friend, an Auntie Rose Makuakane, at a park in downtown Honolulu. But authorities couldn't find any evidence of a person by that name or description. And the only way to get from the Big Island to Honolulu on Oahu is by plane. There were no plane tickets at any time over the previous year on any airline for Peter Sr., Peter Boy, or the fictional Auntie Rose. Where was six-year-old Peter Boy Kima? This is Missing in Hawaii, and I'm your host, Julie Morgan. Today's episode is about one of Hawaii's most infamous missing person cases, a case that stirred up outrage and has since had an impact on every missing child case in the state of Hawaii. This story will come up in any future episodes about missing children. Before Peter Boy was even born, his family were already well known to Child Protective Services. His two older half-siblings had been removed from the home once before when they reported that Peter Sr. hit them and their pregnant mother on the arms, legs, and bottom with both of his hands and a broom. Both parents denied the abuse, and the children were returned to their care. Shortly after Peter Boy was born, a social worker familiar with the abuse of the older children petitioned the court to consider if the newest member of the family, Peter Boy, was safe in the home. But with no current evidence of harm, no action was taken to protect the children. 
At only three months old, Peter Boy was admitted to Hilo Hospital with a leg injury. Upon exam, doctors found multiple fractures, some new and some healing to his shoulder, elbow, ribs, and knees. With this evidence of intentional harm, Peter Boy and his two older half-siblings were taken from their parents and placed in foster care. A month later, in August, a court-appointed guardian for the children recommended that the state seriously consider terminating parental rights, sooner rather than later, because of non-compliance by Peter's mother and Peter Sr. with their service plan. The state ordered a psychological evaluation of the parents, and the report states that the parents both come across as extremely needy and emotionally immature persons who are evasive of responsibility and who displace the source of difficulties onto others. They appeared to be so wrapped up in their own adjustment problems and unhappiness to the point that this compromises their ability to be empathetic and understanding of the children's needs, and neither of them comes across as particularly child-oriented. Both parents are at risk for abusing their children. Later that fall, the children were transferred from a Hilo foster home to their grandparents' home in Kona on the other side of the island. According to CPS records from that time, in the three months that the children had been in foster care, the grandparents, who lived 100 miles away, visited the children in their Hilo foster home more than the parents, who lived only five miles away. For the next few years, the grandparents provided a happy home where the children thrived. They were safe and well cared for. Meanwhile, Peter Boy's parents introduced a fourth child to the world. Peter Boy's youngest sibling was born in 1993, and she remained with the parents. In the 1990s, federal law emphasized family reunification. So by 1994, the state was considering returning the older children to their parents. The grandparents were strongly opposed to this plan. Social workers were opposed to this plan. Peter Boy's former foster parents, the ones who had cared for him prior to living with his grandparents, wrote a letter pleading with state officials not to return the boy to his biological parents. Despite multiple requests from the grandparents, the former foster parents, a court-appointed guardian, social workers, and the state psychologist, on July 25, 1994, a now four-year-old Peter Boy was the first of the siblings to be returned to his parents. After his return to his biological parents, the foster parents wrote another impassioned plea to the state expressing their apprehension about the state's decision to return the children to their parents. The attorney for the children's grandparents also wrote a letter to the state expressing their concern that Peter Sr. and the mother were not abiding by an agreement to allow the grandparents' visitation with the children. Other documentation from social workers expressed concern about the efforts by the parents to isolate the children from contact with the grandparents. They said the parents suddenly changed their telephone number without telling anyone. Despite the multiple red flags, the parents were awarded permanent custody of all three older children, and the state officially closed their case against the parents. Peter Boy's siblings recall horrific abuse during this time. Police were called to the home numerous times throughout the years for domestic violence complaints. All four children were subjected to discipline in the form of dirty lickens. That includes punching, hitting, slapping, and slamming them to the ground or against the wall. Peter Boy, for unknown reasons, was Peter Sr.'s favorite target. His siblings recalled that he was tied up with chains and ropes, shot with a pellet gun, shot with a BB gun, and forced to eat dog feces. 
He was forced to stay in the trunk of the car anytime the family left the house. He remained in the trunk while the family went about their business, whether it was a trip to the store or to the beach. One time, Peter Sr. made him sit naked in a rubbish can. And though Peter Boy had been enrolled in public preschool while with his grandparents, he was withdrawn from school after his return to his parents' home with the promise he would be homeschooled. This further limited external accountability for the parents. The last time his grandparents saw him alive, at that family funeral in December 1996, the grandparents confronted his mother about his black eye and broken arm. She claimed it was not a broken arm, just a cut, and that a doctor had examined it. Not convinced, the grandparents went that same day to the Kona CPS office near their home. But they were told nothing could be done. They were told the Kona office couldn't help because the family lived in a different jurisdiction on the other side of the island in Hilo. The grandfather was later quoted as saying, In my way of thinking, there is no such thing as this is not my jurisdiction. It is, no matter where you are, if somebody calls for help. That was the worst thing. Nobody listened. Four more months passed. In April of 1997, a 15-year-old cousin reported to police that Peter Boy may have suffered a broken arm and that he was forced to eat dog feces. Two months later, in June 1997, after months of attempts by the grandparents to get help, CPS finally opened an investigation. That same month, June of 1997, Peter Boy was seen by his siblings for the last time. His younger sister, only four years old at the time, remembers her parents running through the house with Peter Boy limp in his mother's arms. Their parents seemed to be beating on his chest and trying to kiss him. Actions that she later came to understand were an attempt to perform CPR. Peter Boy's sister didn't see what happened after that because her parents made her leave the room. Later, she recalls asking where he was. And initially, her father told her that Peter Boy had gone to Honolulu to live with an auntie. But his sister felt certain that her parents were not telling the truth. She searched the house, and she found his body in a cardboard box in her parents' closet. She was a preschool-aged child, and she did not understand what she was seeing, so she thought he must be playing hide-and-seek and had just fallen asleep. Her parents told her to just leave him there. Meanwhile, the grandparents attempted to report Peter Boy missing, but the police said the parents knew where he was. CPS reports from that time do not even mention that Peter Boy is missing. Over the coming months, the parents continued to meet with social workers for their CPS investigation and told them that Peter Boy was with relatives. During this time, the family also moved to a new address. By August, with no signs of Peter Boy, Peter Sr. started passing around a story of the imaginary Auntie Rose and saying he left the boy with her in Honolulu. Family members questioned why a father would leave his son with a near stranger. Peter Sr. was quoted as saying, Well, I was running out of money and I couldn't support him, so I was thinking of his health and his shelter. Now, transferring the care of a child to a relative is not that unusual in Hawaiian culture. Hanai, the Hawaiian word associated with adoption, is an ancient practice that continues in some families to this day. When a child is Hanai, they are often taken in by a blood relative and they maintain close ties with their birth family. It's not seen as a separation of the family, but rather as sharing the love for the child. The family doesn't get smaller, it expands. Hanai children are loved and doted upon no differently than biological children. But this was not a Hanai agreement because Peter Sr. claimed to barely know this person. And if he was really concerned about feeding and sheltering the boy, the grandparents were more than ready to step in. 
It wasn't until December 1997, six months since his siblings had last seen him alive, and nearly a year since CPS was called about the injuries observed at that family funeral, that a CPS worker contacted Hilo police to report the child might be in danger. Finally, in January 1998, the mother filed a missing persons report after CPS reported to police that the parents were withholding the child and information about him. By April of the following year, nearly a year since anyone had last seen Peter Boy alive, a CPS assessment concluded, there is a disconcerting possibility that Peter Boy is dead. Unable to prove his whereabouts, Big Island police flew to Oahu with Peter Sr. and had him retrace his steps on the day he allegedly handed the boy over to this anti-Rose. In a press conference later that week, Peter Sr. stated, unbidden, I did not kill my son. By the end of April 1998, the remaining three children were finally removed from the home. In one of the assessments, the CPS worker wrote, I did bring up Peter Boy's name. They all showed fear. I feel they do know something about him. The worker requested a complete psychiatric exam of all the children. A subsequent interview with Peter Boy's siblings found that the children had witnessed violent events that created a level of fear that they did not feel safe to disclose while they were still in contact with their biological mother and their step-slash-biological father. The children, now no longer in contact with the parents, also described sexual abuse by Peter Sr., the mother, and another man. In March 1999, nearly two years since Peter Boy was last seen, police submitted the case to prosecutors for review. The missing person's case was reclassified as a homicide. Police could not divulge the name of any suspects at that time, and no one was charged in connection with Peter Boy's disappearance. In 2001, detectives, along with the help of the U.S. Army Division that works to identify the remains of missing military personnel, dug up the backyard of the home the family had lived in at the time of Peter Boy's disappearance, but they found no evidence. Throughout the late 1990s and early 2000s, Peter Boy became the face for missing and abused children in Hawaii. Posters and bumper stickers asked, Where's Peter Boy? In 2003, there was a grand jury proceeding set up for the mother to describe her knowledge of the abuse, but she backed out at the last minute and the case couldn't proceed without her evidence. Then, despite public outrage, 13 years passed with very little movement on the case. Then, in November 2014, state prosecutors announced that the case was still active and they had launched a new round of interviews in the case. The lead prosecutor stated that an indictment could occur in a matter of months. At long last, on April 27, 2016, nearly 20 years since Peter Boy's disappearance, his parents were finally arrested and charged with second-degree murder by omission. Prosecutors had to charge murder because the statute of limitations had passed for any other possible charge, including manslaughter. If they lost at trial, the parents would have escaped justice forever. The mother was awarded a lower bail than Peter Sr. as the court found that her liability was primarily as an accomplice. Court documents state there is evidence that she had been herself a subject of abuse and coercive control. In December 2016, the mother accepted a plea deal, pleading guilty to manslaughter in exchange for testifying against her husband. In exchange for her testimony, prosecutors recommended a one-year sentence with credit for time already served. In court, she made the following statement, I failed to protect my son. 
I have caused my children to live in the nightmare and I have denied them the healthy childhood and I am so, so very sorry. I know I deserve the punishment of imprisonment. For far too long, I kept a secret of the abuse of my children, especially Peter Boy. She was convicted of manslaughter and sentenced to time served for the year she had spent in jail prior to the trial. She also received 10 years of probation. In response to an outcry that the sentence was far too lenient, her attorney stated that the reality is Jalen Kima, the mother, has been and will remain emotionally imprisoned by the choices she made the day Peter Boy was abused and died. On April 5th, Peter Sr. also took a plea deal. He would plead guilty to manslaughter and hindering prosecution in exchange for disclosing the location of Peter Boy's remains. During Peter Sr.'s trial, the mother disclosed how Peter died. Investigators determined that Peter Boy's death was slow and painful. Peter Sr. caused a wound on the boy's arm. The wound became infected and developed gangrene. Their mother admitted in court that despite having health insurance and understanding that this was a serious wound, she did not get her son medical treatment and did not report the abuse because she was afraid of her husband. Instead of taking him to the doctor, his parents locked him in a room. The wound smelled of rotting flesh and the other kids in the house called it the stink room. The boy died from the infection after months and months of suffering. Prosecutors believe he died from septic shock from not getting medical care. The mother also stated that she did not know where Peter Boy's remains were located. The judge agreed to concurrent sentences for the two counts if Peter Sr. provided enough information for the successful recovery of Peter Boy's body, or if the body could not be recovered, that Peter Sr. pass a polygraph examination regarding the location of the scene. Peter Boy's final resting place was determined to be a remote site on the Puna coast. There, Peter Sr. said he threw a cardboard box with Peter Boy's remains into the ocean. Peter Boy's remains have never been found. The older two step-siblings were eventually placed permanently with their biological father on the mainland. The youngest sibling was placed permanently with the grandparents in Kona. All three siblings bravely testified in the cases against their biological parents. Peter Boy's siblings have also filed a wrongful death suit against the state for failing to intervene despite ample evidence of abuse. Peter Boy Keeman's grandfather said it was agonizing knowing the six-year-old was in danger and no one would intervene. Let the state learn a lesson from this, he said. Do not let this happen again. The grandmother, who never gave up looking for Peter Boy, passed away in 2011 before she could see the children's abusive parents brought to justice. The mother was released from jail after serving a year for manslaughter. Her family would no longer speak to her and she had long since lost contact with her surviving children. In 2019, at the age of 48, Peter Boy's mother died from renal failure due to complications from diabetes. Peter Sr. remains incarcerated at Sogoro Correction Center, a privately run prison in Arizona. He will be eligible for parole in 2034. If Peter Boy were alive, he would have turned 32 this year. People often look the other way when a child has bruises, broken bones, or a black eye. We don't want to get involved. We would feel bad if we were wrong and we don't want anybody to be mad at us. And surely someone else will call if something is really wrong. But recognizing and confronting child abuse when it surfaces is everyone's business. It takes a whole community to keep children safe. In cases of suspected child abuse or neglect, an anonymous report can be submitted to the State Department of Human Services on the Child Abuse Hotline. 
On Oahu, that number is 808-832-5300. And toll-free neighbor islands is 1-800-494-3991. Those numbers are also available in the show notes. This has been Missing in Hawaii. Thank you for listening and for honoring the memory of the missing with me. A special shout out and thank you to Feedspot for including us on your top 50 missing persons podcast list for 2023. Check out the link to Feedspot in the show notes for a list of more great podcasts. You can also help this podcast grow by subscribing and leaving a review. If you have a missing loved one that you would like featured on the show, please see the show notes for contact information. This episode was written and edited by me, Julie Morgan. Music is by Epidemic Sound. Theme song is The Rivers Told Me Lies by Daniel Gunnarsson from his 2019 album, Nothing Makes Sense Anymore, available on most streaming services. Join us next time on Missing in Hawaii as we search for answers and preserve the memory of those who have gone missing throughout the Hawaiian Islands. Until next time, I wish you peace. I can't see